Hello, everyone, and welcome to this year's first episode of BCast, the official student-run podcast of the Upper School. I'm Caitlin G. She, her pronouns, class of 2024. And I'm Max M. He, him pronouns, class of 2025. Today, we are joined by LD, Berkeley Carroll's newest health teacher and department chair. LD has more than a decade of experience in teaching and facilitating discussions surrounding health and wellness. She has interned at Planned Parenthood, assisting patients with personalized counseling and offering education on reproductive health, but the largest portion of her work has been at Generation Q, a drop-in space for queer youth in Queens. Um, So I know we just mentioned a couple of your professional achievements, but in order to allow our audience to get to know you more, who in your own words is Lindsay Duell? Um, So I am a passionate sexuality educator. I was always an informal sex educator of my friends when I was growing up, and I didn't necessarily have the role models in my life to teach us about relationships, healthy communication, um, just all of the components of solid health and wellness, um, especially as a teenager when you don't really know who to go to. And the internet in some ways was an even crazier place then than it is now. Okay. Um, you mentioned a lot about, you know, teenagers and how this sort of stemmed from your adolescent years. Um, is that sort of, um, what inspired you to work alongside adolescents or? Yeah. So I've, I've always felt, so I guess when I was younger, I was doing like informal sex ed with friends. You know, young people always have so many questions. And thankfully, where I grew up, we had a decent health teacher. Um, but finding finding a person in your life or a community in your life who can be non-judgmental, who can be understanding, who can really create a safer space for you to share all sorts of things about yourself. It's really what drew me to working with teenagers and adolescents. Mm-hmm. Um helping to create those environments when teens sometimes feel like I don't know who to go to or when adults kind of write them off. Right. Um, just having someone where, where you can really come to ask those hard questions felt really important to me. So in the last, uh, in my last job, I was really cultivating this space for teenagers, um, particularly queer teenagers to come and talk about all sorts of relationship things or what it felt like that, when you couldn't come out to your parents or when you had parents that were really unsupportive. And then we were talking about all things, health and wellness and sex ed. And they were talking about what kinds of peer pressure they were encountering. What were they seeing in their schools when it came to sexuality and sex and drugs and where were their schools sort of disappointing them and, and failing them? Thank you. Um, and you kind of touched on this already, but um, how do you think your past experiences led you to work at Berkeley Carroll? And how do you think that, specifically help shape the curriculum that you teach? Yeah. So to be quite honest, I'm consistently tweaking and still building the curriculum as we go. I'm, I am so indebted to Ms. Robbins for the amazing work and foundation that she laid. And I'm hoping to only build upon that. You know, I'm still teaching a lot of the lessons that she taught. Right. Um, and that feels really important to me because there's also such an understanding of, of, the, the school culture and the way that students talk to each other and the way that um, staff and students interact with one another. So I'm not trying to shift um, the culture in any like momentous way. So starting <laughs> off that way and then making little tweaks that are specific to me has felt really, really nice. Um, 
And I wasn't necessarily intending to work at a school when I left my job. I was thinking about doing some sexuality education consulting <laughs> when I left my last role. And then I happened to find this job on LinkedIn. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this <laughs> is a dream job in every way. And I actually texted with some friends that I know from graduate school and we were just like, could there be a better fit right. that exists? And and magically it ended up being a great fit across the board. That's awesome. Um, and you sort of said how this would be sort of a dream job of sorts, teaching students. Um, I was wondering, you know, as you were growing up and sort of exploring the different career options, I guess, um, as well as, you know, going on the path of uh, teaching health, um, I guess, how did you envision yourself in the future? And do you think that stayed true to what is actually happening now? Mm -hmm. um, so I actually went to school as a pre-vet major for my whole life. I wanted to be a veterinarian and I failed most of my classes when I started college. <laughs> and I was like, well, this really is not for me. The lecture halls didn't work very well for me. Um, I struggle with ADHD, which is something that I'm working on being transparent with my students about because that is such a component of, number one, how I teach, how I focus, right. and then also such an important part of health, understanding our health and wellness and normalizing different um different abilities across the board. So realizing that that environment did not work well for me and also the material was not engaging. And I had found a book in the school bookstore called The Guide to Getting It On. And it was like this primer all about sex and sexuality. And it was a textbook that now, or it's a book that a lot of sexuality education courses have used, especially at the college level. But finding that and learning more about the author, I was like, this is, there's something here that I want right. to unpack and understand and I'm curious about. So when I found out that people actually went on to graduate school for sexuality education, I found a program. And um, when I was starting this job and feeling overwhelmed and nervous and stressed and experiencing a lot of imposter syndrome, I was talking to these graduate school friends and I had this moment where I was like, wow, I am living the life that I would have envisioned for myself right. 10 years ago, which that's was awesome. a really beautiful experience. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. Um, so, like, how do you think your work and how you approach your job has evolved over the years and over the past decade? Um, finding my own style and creativity and also coming up with the ways that I like to teach. Um, I, I'm still finding that because every day is a brand new day. I'm still getting the hang of it. I'm mm -hmm. definitely experiencing imposter syndrome at times here. And that's something that I've experienced at other jobs too. Um, but I think understanding for myself that the type of classroom space that I want to create is one of like curiosity and sort of like playfulness and goofiness while also being able to take these health topics really seriously. And a lot of the questions that I get in the question box are really good. And some people might look at these and say, wow, they're really over the top or yeah. I can't believe someone would ask that of a teacher. And to me, even if students are goofing around about it, there's still usually some truth in what they're asking in the question box. So yeah, really right. creating this space of non-judgment, um, playfulness and still being able to take the content seriously. Totally. I think that's definitely an important part of it. Um, so I guess shifting gears a little bit, um, what do you think for you personally is the hardest part of your job or like the most 
challenging aspect, I guess. Sometimes jumping between the grades, oh, it's yeah. been a lot harder <laughs> totally. than what I envisioned. You know, there it's seventh, eighth, and tenth grade, right. and the ways this is to be expected. But the ways that you teach seventh and eighth graders is really different than totally. the way you teach tenth graders. And figuring out what do I want to prioritize here because eventually I'm going to get to this point. Where I'm like, wow, I only have a couple of classes left, especially with my tenth yeah. graders, or I'm only with them for the semester. Totally. So there's so much content, so much information mm-hmm. to incorporate. So making sure that you check all those boxes, and then there, like, I I want to talk about like body image, and I think it's really important that we're talking about things like. Um, eating disorders because those are so prominent right. and self-injury in different ways and and also collaborating with other other faculty and staff here like Dr. T and Ms. Beck and bringing them into the classroom and there are so many experts at this school on different topics so finding ways to bring all sorts of outside experts into the classroom but it feels hard to find the time yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> totally um I totally think that's a valid thing, especially considering from seventh to 10th grade, it's such a wide gap and I guess mm-hmm. developmental timeline of, of adolescence. And I think that 100% could be a different, difficult thing to, I guess, maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what is one thing that you want your students to remember from this health course and one thing you want them to take away from it? I know it's like a really wide spectrum <laughs> of topics and things that you teach, but Maybe one thing or a few things that like you really want students to take from this um, these course. I want them to walk away with solid decision making skills that are not. Mm. Of course, we're always going to be influenced by our peers, especially when we're in our teens and yeah. when we're young adults. But having a great sense of their values and how they want to be guided by those values, because that will help inform the ways that we make decisions about drug and alcohol consumption, um, the ways that we make decisions about our sex and sexuality and dating experiences, Mm -hmm. um, and just really treating people with kindness, too, because when it comes to relationships, there can be a lot of, um, like, hurt and harm that's caused because we feel uncomfortable talking about things. So that all comes back to values and decision-making. Right. Yeah, I know me personally, like, growing up, um, like, just learning about health, really, and as I'm going into high school, I feel like, um, I've really seen like the change in the way my peers view health and view like sexuality and um, drugs and stuff like that. So I feel like it's really important to have like um, be taught earlier on in your life about like what different aspects of health is. And it's not just like, you know, like sex and it's not just about like abstinence. It's also like incorporates all these different wide spectrum of things. So thank you. Yeah, totally. And it's so nuanced, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's experience is so different because we're all coming from different religious backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, mm-hmm. different um, cultural backgrounds, all sorts socioeconomic backgrounds. So we're being, our, our values are all informed by those things. So every single one of us has a different template for right. that. Um, this is sort of, Again, off topic, but um, at my old school, like the different forms of health education, like separating classes and like all that, I think it gets very nuanced and especially, um, I I guess, controversial a little bit. Um, So that in conjunction with also... I guess more the political climate of the of the um, the topic. How do you think sort of that affects your work? And I mean, what are your views on that? I guess. Yeah. So we actually just um, with 
the 10th grade class I was at right before this, we were watching a video from several years ago, but it's still very relevant and mm-hmm. probably more relevant than ever. It was um, from a series that Lisa Lang, the CNN reporter, did called This Is Sex. And it the first episode looks at the landscape of sex ed across mm-hmm. the U.S. and right. places where they're doing abstinence-only education or separating classes by gender. And for me, I think keeping... I think having the opportunity to have people of all genders in a classroom space is really important because if we don't do that, sometimes you end up with boys who know nothing about periods or pregnancy or birth. Um, And it's also really important to hear other perspectives in the room. And I think if we separate by gender, we're doing a continued disservice to people of all genders because you're not helping build perspective and build dialogue in a way that feels comfortable and also helps us practice for how to do it when we're engaging outside of the classroom. I also think it's like, I guess, systematically problematic because you enforce this binary and then the people who, you know, don't necessarily fit in that. It's a really difficult situation. Exactly. Um, And I think I either was the same video or maybe something different, but um, I remember hearing a fact that like only a portion of the states in the United States um, require sex education to be medically correct. And I just think that's wild. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. And that number keeps changing and right. shifting. Um, and yes, the, the political climate around sex education and obviously like education about race um, and diversity, like that is so contested across the states right now. And so much of so many of the reasons behind that are not factual or accurate and we see time and time again that states that don't have medically accurate or comprehensive sex ed they have much higher rates of unplanned teen pregnancies Mm -hmm. and much higher rates of sexually transmitted infections because we're not working to reduce stigma we're not working to give them tangible useful information about safer sex and the reality is young people do make decisions about engaging in sexual behavior so my my philosophy is like approaching it from a harm reduction standpoint. And if we can give young people the information based on what they're coming to the table with, we will, we will be in a much better position across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, And earlier you mentioned just like um, how, like examples of like how some parents don't really accept um, their children because of like their sexuality and stuff like that. So how do you think is the best way to approach that? And how do you think um, just like not even just about like sexuality, but just like about health in general, how mm-hmm. can like students really break that barrier and break that boundary between their parents and um, that like relationship that they have? Yeah. So in an ideal world, I think so much, at least our foundational knowledge about sex and sexuality and gender should come from home because again, that's where mm-hmm. our values are coming from. But the reality is so many of us grow up feeling really differently about these things from our parents. Um, but I think, you know, come to me if you are trying to approach a conversation with your parents. I know in the past BC has done some workshops with parents around mm-hmm. health and sexuality education and gender identity and sexual orientation. So I think continuing to do those things and making those accessible for parents to come to um, almost like a re revisiting sex ed for parents 100%. so that they can become more comfortable talking to their kids about these things. Yeah, Totally. I mean, (laughs) considering that they've grown up with probably very different um, education in that specific uh, topic. And right, different ideas, too, about 
the way we talk about gender mm-hmm. and sex assigned at birth, it's so different from when all of our parents were younger. Totally. Yeah. So my hope for all of the students here is that they have parents that are open-minded and willing to engage in some dialogue and discourse about the way things are different now Yeah. and be open-minded to what the students have to say, because I think, you know, young people always have the answers. 100%. <laughs> um, I also think, you know, that the topic of being open-minded and everything, especially when it comes to those topics, I feel like, um, I guess sort of the, the level of discomfort some people feel also stems from their roots of like not being educated in that sort of field. I mean, it all has to do with the environment, I guess, that they were brought up in and everything. Um, but so you discussed earlier that you focused a lot on LGBTQ plus programming and uh, leading workshops and having open discussions. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I was working predominantly in the public school system and in New York City, they have some amazing guidelines in the Department of Education. Um, they're called, they're the guidelines to support gender expansive transgender and gender expansive students. So what I found when I started my role was that we had young people coming to us saying, my school is not supporting me and I'm being bullied and being harassed. My teachers are not calling me by the right name or pronouns. They just are not understanding. And these guidelines were in place to support and protect students. And every research, every bit of research shows that when we affirm students' gender identities, when we affirm their sexual orientation, overall, their rates of anxiety and depression are drastically reduced. Rates of suicide are drastically mm-hmm. reduced. So we found it super important to educate staff and then also be a point person for them, not just come in and do a workshop, but be able to come in and be more of a connection to them for them to get to know our program, refer young people to the program. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were talking with staff students and parents about gender identity, sexual orientation, and then again, how anti-bullying, anti-harassment, anti-discrimination. Totally. And then also some queer sex ed with the students that were coming to the program. Well, I just think that like, it's very important for all students to get like um, their education, health education. So, and you also mentioned that like, it's important for um, peer education as well but I know that it could be very um like I guess awkward is the like word I don't know if awkward is the right word for it but yeah it's one of it one of the feelings around it so um how do you think like again like how do you break that barrier and how do you like really introduce that um between like your peers your friends and like yeah yeah I think just normalizing the conversation right talking to your friends about dating reading like watching TV shows that bring up Mm -hmm. sexual health topics, Mm -hmm. analyzing like the media that you're getting to experience. I know that doesn't sound like very fun or (laughs) to spend your free time doing, but it's in our faces all of the time. Like there is so much sexual content on social media. And if you're like, Hey, did you see this? And what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. And if we're actually being a little bit more critical about the media that we're consuming, I think that's one way to start. But Finding reliable resources. Come to my office. Grab a book. The library has a lot of books on health education. And, you know, that's something I'm also happy to work with the librarians on to make sure that 
we have adequate resources, but mm-hmm. I know our librarians here are amazing. Yeah. So I don't doubt that there are some fantastic resources. And even if, again, even if you're not in the health class, like come find me. I'm in 108 in the diversity, equity, inclusion office. Um, and I'm happy to talk to students if they're like, you want to talk about this more? Like, is there a co-curricular that down the line students want to create? Is there like a spring intensive in future years that students want to create to mm-hmm. have access to some of this content? That would be very interesting. I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess coming to the school now, right, and uh, sort of seeing, in a way, this new position that you've taken on, um, do you have anything in particular you hope to accomplish? Or like, I guess it's a very general question, but. I have 10 million ideas all the time. And then also like totally blank brain half the time because you're just kind of moving on momentum. Um, I really hope to expand the health curriculum. I would love at some point to create something like an elective for maybe upper school students where we can dive deeper on certain topics and it can maybe be a semester long course, um, maybe getting some of the peer leaders involved and working mm. with the ninth graders doing some education. So that, because peer education is so incredibly effective, especially when it comes to health right. and sex ed and drug and alcohol education um, and expanding it so that every single grade at least gets a little bit of health each year. Yeah. Uh, I would really, really love to see that. And just making the health curriculum as immersive and interactive as possible right. so that you can understand like real life implications of decisions that you make. I want us to be have like having a ton of discussion and I want, I don't want the students just be like listening to me lecture because right. that feels boring. I don't want to hear my voice all the time. <laughs> and I also want to hear from students. So even if you're not a student that is taking health this year, I would love to hear from students about how they feel the health curriculum could be improved or expanded upon either this year, most likely not this year, but down the line. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's, (laughs) <laughs> it's quite silly that only 10th graders for a semester take health in, in high school, but, um, you're all busy bees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally I get it. Yeah. Um, sort of taking more into you as a person, I, that's definitely not related to anything <laughs> health. Um, but we just wanted to know, like, what are some of your hobbies? Like, yeah. I guess things <laughs> like that. So I'm a pretty social butterflies so so much of my time is spent with friends I love to go out dancing I love to go see DJs listen to live music uh I ride my bike a lot and mm-hmm. one thing that I'm going to be working up to eventually is biking from where I live in Queens to work wow yeah okay. so I love doing longer bike rides but it just feels pretty daunting when I'm waking up so early in the morning <laughs> Uh, trying to fit in some more yoga and movement. I love cooking, but again, as I'm adjusting to the the new schedule, I've been doing a lot less cooking. Oh yeah, and I'm excited for the breaks because it also gives me an opportunity to really think about how I want to spend my time traveling. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I live in Queens, and the commute is just it's long. So uh. I, I applaud you. <laughs> um, I wish you good luck on that. Um, <laughs> But thank you, LD, for taking the time to speak with us. Um, it was a pleasure to get to know you better. And we can't wait to see what we do together and what you do on your time at Berkeley Carroll. 
And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode. We encourage you to spread the word about it, and you can find more content from us highlighted on our Instagram, on our account at berkeley.cast, at B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y dot cast, C-A-S-T. Sorry, everyone in the room is laughing. Uh, We're also on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Once again, I'm Max. And I'm Caitlin. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.